Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. Caroline Stapleton, welcome to the Center of the Universe. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. This was an impromptu thing. You and I know each other through work, and uh, Andrew came into my office this morning and said, hey, I've just been listening to you for the last hour and 40 minutes. Caroline has too. And then we talked for 10 minutes. I'm like, you've probably had enough of me today. And then I think either Andrew or I said, we should get Caroline on soon. And we soon became a few hours later. Here you are. And I am happy to see where this goes. So it's going to be fun. I'm excited. All right. So you sound like you could have grown up anywhere in the country. Where did you grow up? So I've been told I have a mid-Atlantic accent, but I grew up in Beaufort, South Carolina, which is in between Charleston and Savannah, Georgia. I was born in Rocky Mount, North Carolina, but we moved to Beaufort when I was six years old. So most of my childhood was spent there. Beaufort County is gorgeous. It's 63 islands just off the coast of South Carolina, and you've probably heard of Hilton Head Island, which is one of them. I grew up on Ladies Island, which is um, a couple rivers over from Hilton Head, and in my opinion, just a world away. Um, It's residential. There aren't that many tourists there, or at least there weren't when I was growing up. And it's one of those things where you don't really realize when you're experiencing it how special it is to grow up in a beautiful place, right on the water, um, incredible nature just all around you, going out on the boat, going to the beach. And that that was growing up for me. That was normal. Spanish moss everywhere. Hanging from the live oak trees. Yeah. Um, Gorgeous southern homes. Beaufort, it's actually interesting. It was spared from Sherman's March in the Civil War because it was, I think, the first town to surrender Mm. after Fort Sumter. Uh, A lot of the homeowners there, as soon as Fort Sumter happened, they were like, and we surrender. (laughs) And so, yeah. What's interesting about that is South Carolina effectively started the Civil War, too. Yeah. And Beaufort was like, yeah, we're done here. (laughs) So the Union occupied it very quickly. And a lot of the homes there, they were saved from being burned in the war. And they were used as Union hospitals Mm. and places where Civil War soldiers received, like Union soldiers received their paychecks. So there's interesting graffiti on the walls of some of these basements in town. It just shows you how young men are kind of the same over the centuries, no matter what. There's graffiti that says, like, Union forever with, like, wings. And so, <laughs> so. Uh, the, the male brain, for a fact, because I'm, I'm a male, I know this, doesn't fully form typically until the mid-20s. And so a lot of those guys fighting in the war were a lot younger than oh, that. Oh, only the mid-20s. Okay, yeah. I'm still waiting well, on for, some. For some, yeah. it, it takes uh, early yeah. 40s, I think, yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> what, what are your fondest memories uh, of growing up in South Carolina? I think some of my fondest memories are with the friendships that I formed there. Because it was a small town, you got to know everyone very well. And my group of girlfriends is very close, and we still are. We still get together almost every year, not last year because of COVID, um, and try to see one another and just reconnect. So my fondest memories are with all of them, just doing crazy sleepovers. I remember one time we did a camp out on an, an abandoned, like uninhabited little island, and we waded across the water and put out our sleeping bags and lit a fire and kind of went crazy. That's cool. It was cool. And I, and again, I didn't really know how unique and special it was until I left and went to college and realized that not everyone grew up in that kind of almost innocent type of childhood. Um, and so that was my favorite memories are just with those people. Um, 
often out on the water. I, I did a lot of sailing, um, competitive sailing when I was growing up. And that actually led me when I went to college to join the club sailing team. And that's how I met my husband. Through sailing. That's right. He was also sailing in college. He was. I met him on the third day of school. We were waiting for a car to pick us up and take us out to the lake for sailing practice, the first one. And I saw him and we introduced ourselves and he said he was from New York. I thought that was really cool. Then we got into the car and someone said, where did you grow up sailing? And he said, Rhode Island. I thought, this guy's a liar. <laughs> he can't even keep his lie straight. <laughs> I know. So I, was, I, was, I just thought that was really unusual that I had caught him in a lie very quickly. But it turns out that in the North, um, and maybe sometimes in the South too, but I'd never heard of anybody doing this, people have multiple homes in different places. They, they he, summer in Rhode they Island. They summer. It's a verb. And yes. I had not heard that verb before, but he spent his summers in Rhode Island and sailed there and then went to school and did his school year in New York City. Yeah, I, I joke that uh, I live in Ashland and I summer in Richmond sometimes. That's a good joke. Yeah, it's, yeah. Not, it's okay. It's a kind of a dad joke. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah. Cool, but it, uh, New York and South Carolina getting together and, and dating and then eventually marrying and having kids, that did it take long to uh, get on the same page? Because he grew up differently than you did. Totally. Well, we are very different people, but I think that that's part of the attraction, right? You know, here's this mysterious guy, like – What's he doing? Living in Rhode Island, living in New York. He was kind of quiet. I was not even kind of loud. I'm really loud. <laughs> and so getting to know each other on the sailboat really brings you together, literally. Um, he was the skipper. I was the crew. And he's supposed to be the driver. But I would continually front seat drive, if you will, because the crew sits in the front of the boat. Mm. I was supposed to kind of just adjust the sails and do what he wanted, but I, I would tell him, mm, I think we're going to hit that mark. Y'all were dating at this point. This is actually before we were dating. It kind of led up to dating. I think that once we fought enough in the boat, we decided, why not fight? We seem like a, like, let's a married couple. Official. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So, <laughs> yeah, and, and it was different. He took me to New York for the first time when I was 19. I'd never been. And I remember we flew up to Newark airport and we took the train into town and you can see Manhattan on your right as you're taking the train and then you go under the river. And once you're under the river, you stay underground. And we took the subway still underground to Columbus circle. And then we got out and I will never forget walking out of the subway and my head going all the way back so that I could see the top of um, the the building right there at Columbus Circle. It's so tall and it was brand new. And I thought, I have never seen anything so tall in my entire life. And it took my breath away, mostly because my neck was all the way back and I like literally couldn't breathe. <laughs> You'd stop the airflow. <laughs> yeah, like, it, was, it was impressive and and magical and exciting. And so I think also seeing Alex in that element um, and being kind of dependent on him to show me around the city that was the first time that I was out of, that I really felt out of my element somewhere where I was reliant on someone else to show me where to go or how to get somewhere or to suggest ideas. Because before then, I'm an incredibly independent person and I was the oldest growing up. I was always coming up with activities and ideas for my siblings and my friends. And then I went to boarding school my junior year of high school became even more independent, 
in college, you know, I was used to kind of deciding what class I want to do, what activity. And then being in New York and turning to Alex and saying, I'm scared to hill a cab. I don't really know how to do it. Everyone's honking at each other. I don't know how to get anywhere. And the subway is nothing like the metro I had been on before in D.C. where there's, you know, five colors and you get on a <laughs> color and you go, to, you know, down that one little row of color and you know in new york it's an entire spider web it's its own language almost. yeah it is and and so that was kind of my first exposure into big city life and it actually um triggered a love of travel even outside of the country but like to places that kind of put me out of my comfort zone that i had not really experienced before yeah buford the tallest building was what maybe five or six stories oh if that, I think maybe three at the time. And as a kid, it was always really exciting to me to travel and stay at a at like a hotel so I could press an elevator button. And that was something we fought over as siblings (laughs) who got to press the button. And it was a big deal. Like, you know, we're laughing now. Sure. It was not a laughing matter then. If somebody, you know, cut in front of your turn and press that button, it was fighting words. Yeah. (laughs) It's uh, it's, it's almost magical elevators when you're a child. Oh yeah. Yeah, cool. Uh, I have to mention, Caroline, that you you said you went to college and you, that's where you met your husband. Um, you went to Duke. I did. I, uh, Don't hate me. I would just say I'm not a fan of uh, the university. Um, it it, it happens when you're the best. You encounter this reaction, and that's okay. <laughs> uh, now, of course, we should mention, and I don't know where he went. Uh, Andrew Ting is in the house. He got he got out of eyesight for me, so neither one of us could see. He went to a school that arguably is maybe a little bit better than yours. Would you uh, relent to that point? I'm, I'm sure that in many aspects, you know, that school in, in Boston, just outside of Boston in Cambridge, it, it could be superior, some would say. But on the whole, I think everyone's a little bit jealous of, of Dukies if they, if they weren't one themselves. Even uh, kids from uh, Cambridge. I mean, we'll have to ask Andrew as a follow-up, but I think even if he denies it, we kind of know. He probably is a little jealous. I, I think he wants to answer that question. Maybe. No, he's, he's waving me off. It's all good. Did you ever stay in tents uh, trying to get tickets to a game? I did. Tell me about that experience. And I know Mila talked about it, but you have a different perspective, I'm sure. I only did it for two weeks, but that's the insanity of it, right? The fact that I just said the sentence, I only lived in a tent for two weeks. Two weeks for one game? For one game, yeah. It had to be the UNC game. Right? It was. Okay. It was. And I, and, and I didn't even get a good spot, right? Because that was consider like diet tenting if you were real you know and my husband really tented and he never lets me forget it he slept in a tent for like a month and a half how, how is and, that and i asked mila this question how is that conducive to uh oh it's, good education it's absolutely not conducive to good education at all i don't even I, i'm not sure what it is for except that duke kids i think at some level are, are kind of they're so elite in their academic field that they need some other way to compete with one another. Mm. And so they turn into like, oh, well, can I do, can I be elite in academics while sleeping in 33 degree weather on the ground? <laughs> and I am here to admit I was a total baby about it and did not enjoy it at all. So I will cede all of that competition to my husband and, 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 and anybody Mila else that was really else. serious about it. That's exactly right. Uh, do you remember the outcome of the game? We won by one point. Oh, that, that may have been worth it. It was an incredible game. Um, I, 
And yes, it was worth it. It was worth it for two weeks. Was it worth it for a month and a half? My husband would say yes. I would say, hmm, mm. I'm glad I only did it for it, two weeks. It's certainly not worth it, whether it was two weeks or six weeks, when cause Carolina occasionally blows out Duke, and Duke occasionally blows out Carolina. Those blowout games, those kids who stayed intense for six weeks, I, I don't know how, to, no. how they even fathom that. I completely agree with you. Oh, not crazy. my thing. My dad went to Duke, and he okay. thinks that like tenting and he loves Duke basketball but he thinks tenting is the dumbest thing he's ever heard of so does he blame it on a certain generation I mean I've never asked him that but it kind of is implicit in his tone yeah I think Gen he, X I gets think, the blame maybe I think I don't know it seems like he thinks millennials have really taken it to the next uh, stupidest level. I, I think we round everything to millennials but it may be a Gen X thing I would it. like to think that because as a I, I mean, solidly, I am a millennial, and I don't even know why. I was about to say I hate to say it. That's what why millennials do. I do? Hate to Millenn- say it. Millennials are like that. Yeah, we're just apologetic for who we are. We shouldn't be. We're great. In fact, uh, a lot of millennials just deny that they're millennials. I've noticed that with my brother-in-law. Like, he's definitely a millennial, but he tries to always pull out this this one classification chart that has him as gen x like the last year of gen x and i'm like okay william you're gen x wink wink well it it seems not to be cool to be a boomer these days no and it's not cool to be a millennial in a lot of ways and gen xers kind of just skate yeah and it's it's not fair to millennials really because we do a lot of cool things and we I mean, the joke is, and I agree with it, that we're the ones who teach the Gen Xers how to plug in the printer and make the PDF. So, oh know. yeah, well, uh, millennials and my kids are Gen Z, and yeah, they teach me technology all the time. That's right. It's quite embarrassing that I have to get uh, help from a teenager. I don't think it's embarrassing. I think I think you should embrace that these younger generations we have something to offer. You That's know? fair. Yeah, that's a good way to think about yeah, it. Yeah, we have some value. All right, tell us about your first uh, vehicle that you drove. I say vehicle because it wasn't quite a car. I'm glad you asked about this. It's cathartic to talk about it even now, 20 years later. <laughs> but it was quite a, quite a quite a vehicle. So when I was 15, and this is the sad part of the story, my grandmother passed away. Mm. And she was the first grandparent I lost, and it was very sad. But she'd been sick for a long time and in a wheelchair. So after she died, I soon got my driver's license. And my parents said, wow, we have this handicap van it's free no one's driving and congratulations you have a car sooner than we had ever planned to get you one and i was like oh thanks guys that vehicle's not cool anywhere in the country let me tell you about this car it is a dodge caravan so exactly what you're imagining just a, a regular minivan except the floor of it is dropped like eight inches so it's just barely hovering off the ground and there is a ramp right on the inside of that sliding door that the only way to open that door is to press a button the door comes out and the ramp goes and then an alarm will go off if it doesn't quite align right with the ground and that's how your friends enter your car when you have a handicap van but the worst of all isn't the friends that had to climb up the ramp and get on the back seat right the worst is whoever is designated to sit in the passenger seat which is a literal wheelchair attached to the ground that you buckle yourself into and that's the passenger seat of the car and that wheelchair can leave the vehicle it can yeah but it shouldn't because that also sets off an alarm to let you know there's an escaping wheelchair <laughs> from the van so imagine being 15 years old showing up to high school you're the carpool that week and everyone 
hanging their heads in shame as they march down your ramp that you've opened in front of all of the kids waiting to go there's, into There's no school. way that all the kids aren't looking at that, right? Everyone's looking at that. Or imagine you've turned into the coolest restaurant in town, the Upper Crust Pizzeria, and you're really excited to go out. You're going to park in the back so nobody sees that thing, except for you forgot that's the entrance that has the big bump, and your car gets caught on the bump oh, it because stuck. it's so low, and you have to get people to come help you push the car over the bump so that you can park it, and this is what I'm talking about. And before uh, you or your friends got out of the car or the, the van, they had to be thinking there were some uh, 85 to 90-year-old people in Oh, there. of course. And I think, you know, this went on for months. And then finally, one day, I was on my way to my summer job um, working at, at the yacht club teaching sailing camp. And I went to press the accelerator at the stoplight. And it wouldn't go. And I went, hallelujah. Yeah, I was going to say, a this great thing day for you. is broken. So I called my dad. He dropped off the Dodge Durango for me to make it to work. He took the van. He said, I'll take care of this. I called in the middle of the day to see how things were going with the car. And he said, I have a surprise for you. I was so excited. I had seen this Isuzu Rodeo or mm. Rodeo, however you said that. It was a really cool car back then. I'd seen a used one in a lot in town. And I remarked on it to my parents. And I knew it was going to be waiting in the driveway for me when I got home. I roll up. There's the handicap van. And I'm like, confused. What's the big surprise? Well, it has a brand new transmission and four new wheels. Dad is so excited to tell me that car is going to drive forever. And my mom was so mad that she made my dad switch cars with me. Wow. And I got the Durango and he had to drive the handicap van. Pro so the story has a happy ending for me. And my dad, he's the coolest guy I know. He didn't care at all. He just How much longer did he drive that van? Oh, a little while, and then we sold it to somebody else who sold it to somebody else. But for years, you'd see it around town, always with new drivers. And I imagine people were still just going, maybe. hauling kegs around. <laughs> I mean, you could do cool things with that. I just, I didn't take it to its full potential. That uh, that story proves that your mom is in charge. Oh, my mom is in charge. Yeah, whenever she wants to be. My dad, he's, he loves that, though. Like, he's this really chill guy. He's... He went to Duke also, um, and he's super smart, majored in econ, but he ended up deciding to just be an entrepreneur, start his own small business in Beaufort, and he owned a store called the Beaufort Butterfly Company for 15 years downtown in mm. Beaufort. And he, this is because he's an amateur lepidopterist, which is a, an expert in moths and butterflies. That's a new one for me. Yeah, so when I was young, I didn't even think this was weird. We would stop um, on the way to school in the mornings, and Dad, we'd stop at several different trees, and Dad would go up and, like, break off a branch and bring back the special leaves because every caterpillar eats different leaves mm. to feed our various caterpillars, whichever ones he was raising at the time, to turn into butterflies or moths. And we, he would raise them from the egg to being released. How long is that cycle? Typically? It depends. So it's kind of starts when he would find a pregnant moth. So we'd go to gas stations, not to get gas, but to find pregnant moths. Did they like gas stations? They do because okay. gas stations have very bright lights uh, and they have, they're high up in the air. So they're relatively safe. Right. So at night the moths gather around the lights and then the next day dad would go to the gas station, pick up the pregnant moths and put them in a paper grocery bag where it's dark and cool. And that's where the moths would lay their eggs. 
And then shortly after that, the moth mama dies, which is very sad. And then the little eggs hatch into caterpillars. And then those caterpillars turn into cocoons or chrysalis for a butterfly. And then after that phase, we all know that the butterfly or the moth emerges. And I think what's really interesting is I didn't really discriminate between butterflies and moths, right? In my house, they were kind of equally Mm -hmm. cool. And in fact, moths were almost cooler because the variety of of what you can find in the southeastern United States is you can find some really big moths. Beautiful. And now people I found out, you know, people don't really like moths. Like they're not as attractive. That's what you think, but you just haven't seen the royal walnut. Ah, I have not. Yeah. Or if I have, I didn't know it. Yeah, you didn't know it. You yeah. might have been you might have thought it was a bat, but it wasn't. That's pretty it's gotta be big. They're big. Or what about the Luna moth? Now you've probably seen a Luna moth. Beautiful green, translucent wings. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. a moth, not a butterfly. Okay. And so they actually can be just as beautiful and interesting as butterflies. So you've maybe tipped the scales towards moths a little bit tonight. Uh, you know, you can always find out yourself by putting out a bright light and getting some beer and some really old bananas, mixing them together and painting a tree in your backyard with that mixture that will bring the moths to your yard. That's what we would do on the weekends growing up. What what about the banana attracted them? It's something about like old, old sweet banana mixed with beer. Dad would mix those things together and paint the tree. Now, one wonders if he really just added the beer because he was drinking beer and needed to tell my mom, yeah, that's why we have all that beer out in the... It doesn't work without the beer. Right. It's impossible to do without the beer. That's fun. Yeah. But that's what he would do in the summer evenings when I was young. Turn on the moth light and we'd wait. That's cool. Yeah. That's really cool and unique for your family because I don't know anybody else that does that. Well, you know what's funny is I... So I have two children. Um, My five-year-old daughter this summer with the cicadas coming out, you know, after 17 years, the 17 year cicadas, she was so fascinated by them. And she wanted to go around and pick up cicada wings off the sidewalk and, you know, examine their bodies with a magnifying glass. And she said, I love bugs. I said, well, maybe you want to be an entomologist. And she said, I want to be an entomologist. And that was great for me because up until that point, she still couldn't really answer the question, what do you want to be when you grow up with anything other than a magical rainbow unicorn, which... She's five. Well, it turns out most of her friends had picked a career, at least that they were supposed to say in response to that they, question. They may change 25 times between here That's and That's true, but yeah. none of them were magical rainbow unicorns <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Well, now she wants to be an entomologist it's, and it's a, a magical big change. rainbow unicorn. Oh, she wants she to She wants to do, be, both. do both. That's sure. true. Yeah. She can have it all, maybe. So, but I thought that was so sweet and kind of interesting. We didn't push that on her at all, but to think that her grandfather, my dad, is so obsessed with bugs and and to see that come out in her is has been very special. And did she know that about your dad? She knows that he likes butterflies, but she doesn't really know the extent of it. So it almost makes you wonder, you know, mm. how do these things get passed from from generation to generation? And that's my dad's been he's been ill. He has a very rare form of cancer um more common these days it seems but it's it's been special i think to think wow you know as he's going through this tough time that he and and his granddaughter who's he's very close to are going to have this special thing that they can bond over this summer um it's it's nice it's powerful for you it is and and for all of us yeah yeah i it's sad to talk about your dad you and i've talked 
uh, off recording about it. We can talk more about uh, what's going on with your dad these days. Yeah. Well, we can... he's he's gotten really good news from his most recent um, set of treatments, which is awesome. And I think we're really close. The cancer is called multiple myeloma. We're close to a cure. My understanding is that it's it's waiting with FDA approval. I don't know what's, what exactly that process is. But one thing that, you know, we, he was diagnosed in March of last year, so right at the beginning of COVID. And all of that happening at once was an awful lot to take in. You know, we were scared for him because of the cancer. We were scared for him because of his immune system being suppressed with the chemotherapy and all of that right as COVID was coming through. It was pretty scary. And then he, he underwent a major stem cell transplant in December. But one thing, I found it difficult to cope with all of this from afar. We couldn't be with him at all for, for many months because of COVID. And we weren't vaccinated at the time. So I decided, why don't we try to raise some money to just to feel like we're doing something? So I came up with this idea that I executed with a friend of mine and my sister and my cousin called dine in with mm um yeah dine in for mm i should say mm for multiple myeloma and it was a social media campaign to just make a dinner at home and make a beautiful table or fun table decorate it however you want and then spend the money that you would have spent on a dinner out donating it to the multiple myeloma research foundation it's a great idea and i think we raised over fifteen thousand dollars good for you that's great and it was just it caught on. Everybody would challenge their friends to hashtag show me your table and people would then create their own table. And that was really, it, it helped me channel a lot of those tough feelings of like, what can I do? I feel powerless. How can I help my dad? Well, maybe I can help the research. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you did. $15,000 is a lot of money. I mean, it's a drop in the bucket to what they need, but it also brought awareness to the disease. So I think you know, I think it accomplished more than just the money. Yeah. And you were describing, uh, MM to me earlier today, your, your dad broke his back and that's what led him to. He did. I think that 90% of cases are diagnosed in the final stage, like my dad's, because you can't really feel this cancer. It's silent as it invades your bones and hollows them out. Mm. And so he just, you know, one day at work bent over and he didn't know it, but he broke vertebrae in his back. It's crazy. And he thought he'd pulled a muscle for months. And by the time it's diagnosed, you know, at that point, you've got some issues. He's far along. Yeah. yeah. So we have a lot of hope that um, the cure will be found in the next couple of years. And right now he's doing so well. So we're just enjoying this time and waiting for that FDA approval. And everybody's vaccinated so you guys can be together. When Finally. You, it's yeah. so it's great. We're going to see them in August. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. And they're down in Buford. They are. Yeah. yeah. Still in Buford. They're still in Buford. They're not going to leave. I don't think so. It's paradise down there. Yeah, it is it is really pretty down there. All right, so I don't know how to transition from that <laughs> to uh, you restoring a house, but tell me about restoring a house. Sure. So we live in Washington, D.C., um, and I've always been interested in old houses. I think it's just something about connecting to history. I'm kind of like that with old churches and old buildings. So we bought this house that was built in 1840. Oh, wow. And it was in decent shape, but we decided to try to, to you know, renovate the kitchen, renovate some bathrooms, and restore certain aspects of it to just be very historically precise, but also livable for a modern family. And one of the things that was the coolest that we did was 
our second front door. So we have two front doors. There's the outside one, and then there's the little tiny mudroom area, Mm. and then there's the inside door. And that door has two stained glass panels that my husband and I designed ourselves. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah, it was really a good opportunity for us to to create something that looks old, but that represents us as a family. So the panels show rocks, like the rocky Rhode Island coast where he grew up sailing in the summers with a palmetto tree, the South Carolina symbol, nice growing out of it and then surrounded by beautiful rope with figure eight knots, um, which you use all the time in sailing and anchors and these incredible shades of basically sea glass variety blue. So we gave kind of the concept that we wanted for this stained glass window to a company out of Baltimore, locally run. And their 16-year-old daughter was sort of inspired by it. And she actually came up with the design. Mm. And it was so lovely. And we couldn't believe that this young person had had just drawn a very mature design. We, we didn't make any changes. We went down there and picked out the colorful glass ourselves, um, kind of chose the different textures and colors. But she put it together and... And we get a lot of comments on that. I bet. She, yeah. She sounds really talented. She is. So, I mean, I think it was just kind of a unique thing. It took some time and it wasn't cheap, but it also, it wasn't that expensive. And I think I would tell people, you know, if you're thinking about how do I make my house kind of personalized for the long term, like something that might outlast us being in the house if we ever move, doing a custom stained glass window, it's it's really fun and a creative process so and and this place is in dc proper it is it's in the capitol hill neighborhood just right off of pennsylvania avenue southeast we can see the capitol actually from our third floor so just kind of peek out and and there it is which is usually great um on the day of uh, january 6th that was sort of scary <laughs> yeah super uh, weird and scary it was yeah. weird but uh but usually a very good thing all right uh we did not write this down beforehand but there was a story about you, you, you're a lawyer yeah, uh, and Native Americans out West and you were, I don't remember which side of that whole thing, but can you oh, yeah. tell me about that? Absolutely. So, you know, I'm a financial services attorney and that's my specialty. But when I first started, after I worked at the office of the controller of the currency, which regulates national banks, I went to a law firm, Buckley, that focuses a lot on consumer finance and financial services more generally. So I was surprised to be staffed on a matter where we were representing the plaintiffs um, in a lawsuit against the federal government. Mm. And our client was the Navajo Nation. And they were suing for um, basically mismanaged funds over the course of decades, if not more than a century, by the federal government. Um, and it resulted in a settlement of half a billion dollars Wow! for the tribe. Yeah, it was but during that time period, what were we doing on the ground? Well, I never in my life imagined I would be doing physical discovery. And when I say discovery, I mean that's the part of a, of a litigation matter where you're actually trying to discover facts. And these days, almost all discovery is done electronically. Emails you know, or, or hard copy documents are scanned and you look at them online. This discovery was in person, on the reservation, looking through boxes of documents with a headlight on my head in storage containers with snow and and wind and it was out of a movie it felt like i was in a movie um so that yeah it was a really interesting experience to to try something new 
um, coming out of the government. You know, I'd worked at the government for a couple of years and I was looking for a change and man, did yeah, I man get did you get it? Yeah. I got a big change. I also got exposure to life on the reservation just a little bit. Um, we worked there and, and it, it really made me passionate about getting a good outcome for that client because life is tough on the reservation. It really is. I'm, I think that, you know, we think as tourists who see it, wow, what beautiful rock formations. This orange rock is so gorgeous. And, and it is, it is beautiful, but it's not very arable. And, you know, it's, it's kind of tough land. Um, and so I think that that's, that over the years, it's been very difficult for, you know, the Navajo Nation to kind of, and, and I think reservations in general to kind of be able to use that land in, in a way that the more farmed land would have been easier to make productive. And that's why it was so important for the resources that they do have for them to get the funds that were owed them. Navajo Nation is pretty large too, right? It, yes, yes. Yeah. It, and has its own language. That was very interesting going to Walmart and seeing that there was a new announcement that I think they were translating Star Wars into, um, into Navajo. Oh, that's really neat. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, wow. Uh, you are a uh, baker. <laughs> um, I don't know if I would go that far. Well, I mean, you, you were on a televised uh, baking game show. In That's effect, right? true. But I, I have to interrupt you and say to the listeners, that show is Nailed It. And if you've seen Nailed It, then you'll know I am not a baker. <laughs> you're, you're, uh, I think your title on the show is Baking Lawyer. That's right. I thought I was really clever when I came up with that. Um, I, I asked them to put Banking Lawyer and then cross it out and put Baking Lawyer <laughs> because I thought that was the smartest thing I'd ever said out loud, which I'm now realizing there's a reason they said yes to it and it's not because it's really intelligent Super, yeah. it's because it's hilarious <laughs> so yeah and you know that was an interesting experience right I my husband and I had been arguing about whether people unnailed it which is a show we really enjoyed watching these amateurs in the kitchen try to bake these complicated pastries we were arguing whether it was real or whether they were actually acting because no one could be that bad at baking right and I said, they're definitely acting. And my husband said, they're not. And I guarantee you, you would be just as bad at it. Oh, wow. And he was, he was not being mean about it, but he was like, you, you think you'd gr be great at this. This is baking on a time limit. So I said, fine, I'll, I'll email them. And I emailed them and said, I, you know, we really need to settle this at my house. Um, this is an internal discussion in your family yeah, that needed to be that settled. needed to be settled, right? And I needed to just show that I was right. And that's important, right? So... A year and a half later, I'd totally forgotten about it. They write back, hey, do you want to audition for this show? Well, at the time, I was four months pregnant with my second, my son. I was like, sure, yeah, absolutely. And they flew me out two months later to compete. I was six months pregnant. And indeed... Flew you out to L.A. Oh, they did? that's where they do all these yeah, things. Yeah, in Burbank, in California. And it was a full day of filming. And I can, I can tell you, if you have watched this show and wondered, is it real... It is so real. And if you're wondering who was right, me or my husband, I can encourage you to watch this is, this is being recorded. You want to season leave this four, out there? episode three, and because I think my husband deserves it, I can say he was right. It actually is really, really hard. <laughs> it took uh, almost two years uh, to prove him right. Yeah, you know, um, I think for him it was sweet enough, no pun intended, to be completely worth the wait. And, and I just, what an experience to be on that show. 
and hear the the clock start running and think oh wait this actually is going to be impossible like I have to recreate uh, a cake that is in the shape of the Egyptian sphinx and how, how much time did you have an hour and 45 minutes doesn't seem like enough time oh it's not enough time yeah yeah it was it was wild um it was a total blast and you also made what was hatching out of that egg oh the turtle hatching egg now that was criticized by the judges and of course by everyone who watched the episode as one of the ugliest things they've ever seen it i think that i think one of the judges said it looked like it had been murdered (laughs) and they weren't wrong well the model that you were trying to uh, fashion yours after had I think yellow coming off yeah, the There was the, some the red, too. It was in a beautiful striped design. Uh, Mine, I tried to execute. Um, oh, that fun ooh, really wasn't eesh. intended. Ouch. Um, with, a, with some red uh, icing there. And, and man, it was, a, it was a bloody mess. So You showed me pictures. It was definitely yeah. a bloody mess. Yeah. Oh, we, don't, we don't need to relive it. And uh, there are three contestants. Yes, that's uh, right. And what place did you come in? I came in second. Which is, um, I think, as I told you before, a very lawyerly thing, right? Didn't take enough risks to be first, but tried to do a good enough job not to be last. Right. And I, I imagine third place was kicked out after the first round, the shorter round. No, oh, no. You go, you everybody go goes all the way. Yeah, that's right. So it was kind of interesting. The winner of the first round became the loser of the second round. Oh, wow. Yes, but I was very consistent. I was second place both times. Okay. Yeah. That's the way that you get second place. That's right. Or one of the ways you get second place, I guess. Uh, yeah. You can probably get second place in something else doing, you know, a lot less damage in the kitchen than nailed it, but it's worth a watch. It's funny. Would you uh, do it again? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I did participate in an at-home nailed it with some friends afterward. We all thought it'd be fun to just do it on a Zoom call. You know, it was COVID, so... We got on and recreated a little cactus cake, and it was a lot of fun. Were there judges? A, a friend of ours was yeah. a judge. Did yeah. you, what place did you come in for that? That one I won, okay. right. but I, I think that they felt bad for me. I don't <laughs> think you were, it, was, you were, it wasn't based on merit. Because you were uh, on tel- television coming in second, which according yeah. to Ricky Bobby is... Uh, if you're not first, you're yeah. last. Yeah. yeah, no, it's true. Definitely unnailed it, too, because if you're not first, then you actually just get a hundred dollar bill and thanks for coming. So, <laughs> and, and you paid for everything on the, to Not get out the there flight okay. um, or, but you know, um, I didn't pay for it with money, but I paid for it in uh red eye, you know, exhaustion because man, they don't book you the best flight when they fly you out to California for yeah, these they're, shows. They're trying to save money. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right. So you, you also sang and I, I don't know what age you were when you did acapella. I was in college. Okay. So I was in a group called Sapphire Acapella. And what's interesting about Sapphire is you don't have to be super talented to be in it. Well, first of all, it doesn't exist anymore. It unfortunately has, has since been defunct. But when I was on campus, you know, you had to be reasonably good at singing to get in. But why didn't you have to be super talented? Because you had to meet a couple other characteristics that made it, you know, a pretty small pool. First, you had to be a woman. It was all female. And second, it's a Christian acapella group. Mm. And you had to be willing to you not only, you know, be a Christian and, and be cool with singing about Christian songs, but you actually had to be willing to testify about, you know, your relationship with God um, before singing these songs in public, like cool. on a college campus. So very serious. Yeah. I mean, it was a lot of fun, but you couldn't be nervous about saying, you know, testifying to your faith. And honestly, I was a little nervous about that at first. I think anybody is. You're at college. So, like, yeah, especially that age. Right? Yeah, but it was good because 
I kind of learned how to face fear of, you know, public rejection or people rolling their eyes pretty early on. And I ended up having a lot of fun um, and it developed some lifelong friendships out of the group. But yeah, it was funny. Um, took a lot of time. So I often thought about quitting, right? And I'd finally work up the nerve to tell these nice girls, like, I just don't have time for this group anymore. And it would take me weeks. And I'd finally say to my friend, uh, Maura, who was also in the group, I'm going to quit today. And we'd show up at practice. And then the president of the group inevitably would say, so-and-so has something they'd like to say to the group. And I'd go, damn it, Susan's, <laughs> Susan's going to quit. For, and, then, and Susan or whoever would say, I, guys, I'm just so sorry, but I can't do this anymore. And the group was so small that I, there's no way I could let them lose two people on the same night. So I ended up doing it the entire rest of college. Oh, my gosh. Almost out of, like, You are going to quit the first year? I was going to quit like 20 times, but there was always something coming up. What's the name of the movie about acapella? Oh, um, Pitch Perfect. Thank you. Was it like that in any way? Actually, it kind of was a little bit. I mean, that movie is a bit exaggerated, but I'm not going to lie. There would be times when just walking down the street with my friends that we would suddenly just begin to beatbox and make sounds with our mouths. (laughs) That's awesome. Pretty nerdy, pretty fun. Um, And yeah, I... I really, I also learned a lot about music from that. I grew up playing, doing piano lessons Mm. and playing the flute in middle school, but that group taught me how to arrange a song, right? We would hear a song on the radio. Oh, this is a song we want to sing as a group. How do we break it down into its components and then write that into music to, to be able to sing it as a group. And I only got to do it once myself. Um, but I learned a lot from the other people in the group about just how music works. It was cool. Yeah. Is music in your life today. Beyond um, in the car, yeah. very very loud when I'm alone. <laughs> what kind of music do you listen to now? I love pop. I just think it's great, and I also love '90s country and Jimmy Buffett. So you know, that's that's I would say that's my rotation. Oh, some James Taylor sometimes. '90s yeah. country. Give me a couple names. Oh, Alan Jackson, okay. George Strait. Sure. You know, they're, Garth they're even, Brooks. They're even uh, I think '80s country. Yeah, I think I mostly got into it in the early '90s, and and yeah, I think I know, I know all the words to the chorus of "Rodeo" by Garth Brooks. So that's my test, right? Like, oh, sure. Do you yeah. really know '90s country? Well, let me ask. You know, Dwight Yoakam. Rodeo. Dwight Yoakam. Dwight Yoakam. Yeah, I wasn't as big a fan. I was... He's also an actor. He 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 does. He's multi talented. I didn't. I did not know that. He said some uh, what I would call some B parts. Oh, some movies. Okay, I'll have yeah. to I'll have to Wikipedia that. Yeah, he's I, he's probably acted a few times. I'm okay. guessing. Yeah, it's good times. Yeah. Cool. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about your family, uh, parents, siblings, kids, husband. Yeah. Uh, so my husband Alex and I have two kids. Eliza is five, and Ben is going to turn two in September. Eliza is just the daintiest little princess you ever met, and Ben is a caveman. Like he's a wild man. He doesn't have that many words yet. We're working on that. But one of his favorite things to do is go out to eat at Ted's Montana Grill because there's a giant bison on the wall. And he likes to stare at the bison, Mm. point at it, say, bye, bye, and then shovel bison meatloaf into his mouth. And I know he knows he's eating it, and he loves it. So he's a carnivore. Yeah, he's a a red meat-eating kind of guy. And that's kind of, uh, you know, uh, a... vignette that really explains a lot about who he is as a kid he's just 
He just does what he wants. He's a wild man. Is he getting getting that from your side of the family or your side? I don't know side? where he's getting that from. We don't <laughs> recognize these character traits. We actually think he might be the first person in the history of either family to be cool in high school. Like we're we're not sure though. He's we on don't. that trajectory. He's going to yeah, be cool. Yeah, I mean, in I think it's not it's not ruled out. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, which makes me anxious. I got a photograph from our nanny the other day while I was at work and it was actually a series of pictures of him doing fun things during the day. But in them was a photo of him surrounded by like five little girls. And I got really He's got the it factor, I think. by that. Yeah. yeah, I was like, get away. <laughs> <laughs> you, don't, so you don't have to worry too much. I'm that mom. I'm that mom. I'm going to be. Are you helicopter momming? I don't know if I'm doing that yet, but it, it's coming. Yeah. I have a sense. And it's, it's hard not to. I'm just going to publicly apologize to my children and everyone else in advance, but I don't know if I can help myself. It's hard not to. Yeah. Well, you just want to, you want what's best for them. And, and yeah, but, and my parents um, are awesome. They're Vicki and Steve, and they live in Beaufort, South Carolina. And my sister Grayson is an actress, cl- actress, classically trained Shakespearean theater. She does like she's Juliet in Romeo and Juliet. Mm. That's like who she is. Um, she in New York or she in? She was in New York and she's now in DC. And also in DC as of this year is my brother Austin. Oh, so you're all together in DC for the first time. It's incredible. And my brother is such an interesting person. He's 10 years younger than me. So he's just, he's kind of, he's got a job and he's getting his first apartment and kind of watching his life unfold. It's really fun to just feel young when I'm around him. One thing about my brother that, you know, I think a lot of people don't know, but I wish they did is that he is an expert in obscure, like geographical formations and like Mm. central Asia. He knows about you know, certain mountain ranges and, and lakes and different, you know, ways, roads, ways to get around. He's never been there before, but he just is that interested in geography. And does he want to go to those places? He does. He really does. So I think, you know, it'd be fun one day when travel resumes and, you know, we can all get around to go do kind of that adventure with him, sort of a Silk Roads adventure. Yeah. Every uh, birthday, there's an opportunity to surprise him with a really cool trip. That's true. Not that you would do it every birthday, because that would get quite yeah, expensive. Yeah, maybe, maybe maybe thirty, maybe yeah, something he, that ends in zero. He probably won't listen to this podcast. You, so. you think? I think, yeah, he'll or, say he did though. Will you not tell him about it? I'm not going to tell him until it's closer to his thirtieth birthday. Okay. I'm not doing that before right. then. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you shouldn't. That's good. Ma- I, ma- I like maybe that forty. Idea. Maybe forty. Oh yeah, but then I'll be fifty. Thirty-five. So, yeah, maybe thirty-five. Yeah. I think that works. All right. I think that works. So, yeah, my family is, they're my best friends, and I'm very lucky that they're in D.C., as is um, one of my closest cousins, Ellie, and her kids, and and we're just trying to figure out how to be adults. So, grew up in South Carolina, and all three of you ended up in D.C. We always kind of knew we might. My great aunt is a fascinating person and, like, a personal hero to me, and she lived in D.C. my whole life and still does. She actually was portrayed in this movie called The Post, starring Meryl Streep that came out a couple years mm-hmm. ago. You might have seen it. Yep. Um, she was Catherine Graham, who um, owned and ran the, the Washington Post for years. Yep. Yep. She was her personal assistant. And so she never married, but she was completely dedicated to her job and the Graham family and, and working for Mrs. Graham. And she knew all of the coolest things about Washington, D.C. And, oh, that's and awesome. the stories of the people who lived there in the, the 70s and 80s. And, um, 
you know, visiting her, you felt like you were really in DC. And I think all three of us, my siblings and I experienced that and it made us want to move to, to Washington at a deep visceral level. Yeah. Yeah. So, and we're all here. So it's really cool. That's very cool. We just threw a big party together. The three mix siblings. That's my maiden name, mix. And, uh, mix like MIX, like a cake mix. Oh, wow. That's what my mom used to always say. Okay. And yeah, we had a big party. Um, Andrew came actually on a roof deck uh, to sort of just celebrate being together after so long of not being able to have parties. And just the three of us with all of our friends, it was special. It's like a super party. It it really was. There yeah. was giant Jenga and beer pong. So I'm just saying. I mean, that's a that's a super party. It's a super party. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what, is, what does the future hold for you? I think... You know, we'll see. I'm. I plan to be in D.C. for some time, um, but I don't know that I'll be there forever. I really love. I love South Carolina, but it's difficult to practice law there because I took the New York bar exam, mm. and South Carolina doesn't allow anyone to waive in. So I'd have to. Take, That's perfectly South Carolina. It is so South Carolina. I'd have to take the bar exam again, which really is not appealing to me. But I, I could see moving south. I could see moving anywhere. You know, I, I think that I probably haven't haven't made my last move or even my last two moves yet um, geographically. And and I enjoy practicing law. So I think I'll keep doing that for the time being and watch these kids of mine become people, little people of their own personalities. That's very cool. Yeah. Well, well thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thank you uh, for having me. Very last minute. It's uh, awesome that you and Andrew were able to come over. Uh, and Andrew is effectively uh, helping you out quite a bit today, I noticed. Oh, yeah, he's basically my personal assistant. In fact, Andrew, if you could, you know, just make sure we're packed up and ready to go. That would be great. Awesome. Well, we said 45 minutes. We're right at 49 minutes, so Ugh, right on. Only five minutes over. Thank you so much for having me. That's uh, awesome. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com.